0: People have actually started building communities and teaching language within our app. The long and short of the fundraising process is it will break your confidence if you let it. (laughs) So in some rooms I'm black, in some rooms I'm African, in some rooms I'm Nigerian. These are the things that I was really good at as an athlete and I realized how important and valuable that was for me as an entrepreneur.
1: You know, as athletes, we just run through walls all the time, right? Hello everyone, your host Dan Kihanya here. Thanks so much for listening in. You just heard our guest for this episode, Akechi from Tribal Networks. As you can tell, we had a great conversation that ranged all over, so stay tuned. But first, a little housekeeping. We took a little extra time between episodes to do some retooling. You gave us great feedback, so thank you and hope you feel like we are making progress. I still do most of the editing, so please continue to be patient when the audio clips or dips. We will keep trying to get it right. As always, if you're excited about what we're doing with Founders Unfound, you can find our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And please follow us on Twitter at Founders Unfound, or go to our website, foundersunfound.com and sign up for our updates. Now on with the show. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Founders Unfound, spotlighting the best startups you don't know yet. We bring you stories of exceptional founders from underrepresented backgrounds. This is episode three in our series on founders of African descent. It's August 2019, and I'm your host, Dan Kihanya. Let's get on it. We have Akechi Wabusi, co-founder and CEO of Tribal, a trusted multicultural community platform for members to stay connected with heritage and culture both locally and globally. Welcome to the show, Akechi.
0: Thanks for having me, Dan. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: And now you and I know each other. Uh, We met when you were in Techstars here in Seattle in the latest cohort class. So we've known each other for a little bit, but let's get started by helping the audience understand what is tribal exactly.
0: Um, We're a platform that helps Black migrants identify and connect with community no matter where they are. Um, So essentially, if you are a Nigerian and you land in New York, we want to instantly connect you with people, experiences, and safe spaces that align with the cultural identity that you've identified with and plug you into the local community in the
1: area. So if I grew up in Ghana and i'm moving let's say i come to school in the united states in boston and then i move to san francisco i would plug into tribal and that would help me locate people who have a shared culture shared heritage with me so that i could meet up with them obviously through the community that's established in tribal but also maybe meet up with them in person find out what's going on with some of the events that might be relevant
0: yeah no exactly i mean uh one of the big things that we do is we help people, what we say, meet familiar strangers.
1: Nice, I like that.
0: You know, I think it all comes down like the question we ask internally all the time is like the whole like, "Where are you from?" is like a really outdated
1: question. <laughs> yeah.
0: The better question in today's day and age is, "Where are you local?" For example, myself, I'm, I'm local. I was born and raised in Houston. You know, spent five years in Chicago, two three years in Austin. I so see spend a lot of time in Lagos, spend a lot of time in my, my home village in Abia State. Those are places that I'm local in. And whenever I'm outside of those places, how do I uh, get as familiar, comfortable and connected as I am whenever I'm in those locations?
1: Nice. Yeah, I like that. Where are you local? I, lo- I like that a lot. Uh, I think most of us are migratory these days, whether it's for school or jobs or a family you end up relocating and relocating. And so you need to reestablish those roots and also carry with you those connections that you want to make strong bonds. Uh, so it's, this, is, this is a great idea. I was drawn to it when you're in Techstars, the high potential for um, a social network that has this kind of context. can be tremendously powerful because mm-hmm. it's a strong connector, but it's also something that is easily frayed by uh, changing location mm-hmm. thats a really cool idea. Can you tell me what, what kind of progress you've made as a company and where, where is the platform at right now?
0: So obviously we, we recently got to Texar, So now we're, we're in the process of fundraising. We're, we're a venture back company. Currently, uh, we have a public beta that's on the app store. Um, and we're releasing more, much more robust version of the product here, uh, in the fall, early fall. Uh, with the goal of like actually getting a true live product, public product out by January.
1: Can you can you talk a little bit about some of the the features or things that users can do e- either with the current beta or where you see the uh, public product as you call it?
0: Yeah, um, so the product that we're about to release, the thing that we really learned from the public beta that we have on the App Store now, uh, one, like most of our users are on Android and we're only on iOS, so really excited for this next release so we can get our Android community into the platform I was
1: gonna ask which platform yeah that makes sense
0: get them start testing and breaking everything and then what we really try to bring to life in this new version um, takes our search to the next level um, so we want to be able essentially what we've built inside the tribal oh know are you familiar with the green book
1: oh absolutely yeah I knew about it before the movie even uh I'm a, kind of a history buff and not uh, I remember reading about it. So yeah, I'm pretty familiar with it. I mean, maybe for our users, for the few people who might not know, maybe you can just give us a quick synopsis of what it is.
0: The green book essentially was like, I guess, long and short, like a black travel guide of safe spaces in different cities. Is that, is that accurate portrayal? Yeah. You think?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It was, it was basically a, a guide at the during the time of segregated services where like you said, you could go and you could go safely. It's, showcased in the in the movie uh, green book uh, about a musician who's touring in the south and he's kind of a new york elite african-american gifted musician and he's decided to do a a tour down south um, which there are many people who want him to play but he encounters situations where he isn't always welcome to eat or stay
0: right right on target there Just through my own life experiences and life experience, I think a lot of people from Black communities deal with this, you know, you're oftentimes forced to relocate, whether it be for school, work, new opportunities. And even going even further back, you know, you think about immigrants and and the African diaspora as a whole, the, the entire Black community narrative is really a migration story, and with that you know we thought it'd be important to kind of bring that value of the green book back to life through a social directory in the platform so uh, essentially when using our our platform you'd be able to access a directory of of people and communities that you were associated connected or had similar backgrounds to and you'd be able to filter uh, through that directory according to location nationality and then eventually uh, other communities and interests that we kind of start to pick up and drive as we continue to grow out the platform. The next step that we're really trying to hone in on after that is really trying to uh, be able to make high value recommendations of people that you should connect with, restaurants in the area or events in the area that we think that you would enjoy based upon how you've self-identified yourself
1: that makes complete sense. I was just back home in Boston with my family and my sister in law is from Trinidad and we were discussing the summer to fall event carnival celebration season. And you know, in Boston you've got there's a big Italian Saint Anthony's feast, there's a Puerto Rican parade and then there's a West Indian carnival. And if I'm coming from one of those places how do I find out about those things? I know for me, sometimes you find out by accident, but on the radio, they'll talk about the traffic impact of such and such an event. And you think, wow, that's, that's like a great event. I think I want to go there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this this, this ability to, to connect around the context, of, like you said, of nationality or heritage or ethnic group or, or culture is, uh, is so powerful.
0: We're excited about what we're building. You know, the process has been a hell of a journey <laughs> i can't emphasize that enough but you know we've learned so much along the way and uh you know as we've been able to continue to build the team a lot of the tech stars learnings and the mentors that we were able to connect with have all been really
1: valuable in helping us take that next step as a business so maybe let's talk a little bit about that i think one of the things that people Underestimate and don't really have great insights into is this journey for the, the hunt for product market fit. Uh, maybe talk about what what's what has the learning process been like? What has been some of the surprises or things that you didn't expect um, as you've been going through uh, the discovery of how people are using your, your beta?
0: It's been a very cool process, you know. As we iterated, the very first version of our product was. Extremely focused on like driving a local experience. And kind of like as we kind of started organically growing, uh, we started having people in these silos of these local areas that didn't have a ton of users in them. So we started opening up communication flows on a global level. And it was really exciting to see how people drove value from connecting with people in completely different cities and locations. We kind of saw patterns of behavior like people will be traveling to other areas they get on tribal to kind of jump inside of that local community and see what was going on in the city like a week before getting out there
1: nice
0: so that was really cool to see um we've already talked outside of this podcast about the cool like Jellof rice story yes <laughs> uh the the 72 hour uh Jellof wars that occurred in tribal where Every different community was kind of coming to the table saying that they made the best jollof, and just really made for really fun conversation in the app and people really uh, driving connections and, and interactions amongst each other.
1: I've seen that conversation happen so much. And it I won't say it gets heated, but people definitely have their opinions, almost like people here in the U.S. have about barbecue. I see like a, a Food Network show or something about jollof rice.
0: Yeah. Nah, it gets really real, man. Uh, and then, you know, it almost starts to come off as people are insulting your mother when they try to come, out, come at you, Jala.
1: Right, right.
0: That's why we can't just let it ride.
1: <laughs> they don't play. No, they don't play.
0: Um, but one of the really cool things that happened in Tribal was uh, seeing somebody, Like I think leaders have really been rising within the platform, just organically. And so people have actually started building communities and teaching language, within our app. And I think that's something that, especially myself, you know, I'm, I'm Igbo, I come from the Igbo tribe. And while I do hear some Igbo, like I can't speak it. And having users come into our app and the first things that they're saying are actually in their native tongue and native language. And that eventually encouraging and rolling into like, oh, hey, I can teach Igbo to other people kind of having like these digital classes happening within the product was really cool to see as well.
1: Does that present a technical challenge with figuring out language and translation, or you're just kind of people are using the platform and and they're finding a way to do it.
0: So we've talked about it a lot. Ultimately what what we believe is, um, I don't know if the word is thanks to colonialism, (laughs) but due to colonialism, uh, There is language standard across, across borders. So regardless of what African or Caribbean community you're targeting, they primarily speak English, French, or possibly Spanish and Portuguese. Right. And, you know, with English, French and Spanish kind of being like really like the three major languages, we'll be able to build experiences around that. But I think as we continue to iterate on the product, like That's an opportunity that we can't ignore as a secondary market and trying to identify how we can introduce language and create experiences around your true native languages and native tongue uh, to connect people and even help people learn. uh, You know, something that we definitely have in our
1: eyesight. Great. Awesome. So we're going to take a small break and we'll be right back with Kechi Wabusi from Tribal. We are so excited to welcome our first support sponsor, Founders Live. This is a global program that gives voice to emerging founders and early startups all over the world. Here's Founders Live CEO Nick Hughes to tell us more about it.
2: Hi, this is Nick Hughes from Founders Live, a growing global community of entrepreneurial inspiration, education, and entertainment. The founders live movement includes unforgettable live streamed happy hour pitch competitions held in over 50 cities worldwide and the monthly events are coupled with a growing online platform where articles videos expert talks technologies and tools together help create world-class entrepreneurs our vision is to raise the tide for all startup regions but specifically second- and third-tier markets around the world to ultimately power the pulse of early-stage entrepreneurship and creativity. We'd love for you to be a part of the movement. Check it out and join for free at FoundersLive.com.
1: Nick is currently on a year-long tour, leading events and meeting founders around the globe. Check out FoundersLive.com to see if he might be coming to your city. And now we continue with our episode. And we're back with a catchy from Tribal Network. So Ketchy, we were just talking about uh, the learnings that you've had from your uh, beta. And is there anything that you can share in terms of progress or metrics that are important that you've been really uh, surprised and happy about? Um, What would you tell investors in terms of traction?
0: So towards the end of Techstars, we got to a really exciting point where we really started seeing true virality and, and really active engagement in the platform. And so our metrics around stickiness really started reaching that industry standard, got closer to like that that kind of magic goal of 25% and above. But we were able to see our virality K factor go above two, which is really like that magic number. And when we discovered that, we immediately shifted focus on the product and engineering team to start building the new version of our product uh, with the insights that we kind of learned. hoping to release that out here in in the fall and and build on the KPIs that we started discovering in the last version.
1: The K factor of two is definitely a pretty good number. Maybe for those in our audience who are unfamiliar with that term, can you give us a quick definition of K factor?
0: Yeah, essentially K factor is for every organic user or for every user that you pay for, how many organic users are also uh, coming into the platform through that paid user. So if I pay to acquire one user uh, within the first 30 days, if that user brings on two other people or invites two other people into the app and they transition into a user, then they become a part of the community and that, that would be a K factor of two. And so essentially it's an equation that compares your organic to paid users.
1: It's a powerful way to grow and it's a really good indicator for your, your type of service that there's an appetite uh, for this sort of social connectivity. So that's awesome.
0: As a social consumer platform, the two most important KPIs and metrics uh, are probably K factor and stickiness. Stickiness is daily active users over monthly active users if the, if you see those trending up then you're able to create a really powerful story and narrative uh, to your investors and it's been it's been really exciting kind of to go through the journey and see how you can actually push and pull those levers by introducing new features or new
1: experiences in the product so let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about fundraising have you raised any money in the past are you raising money now
0: yeah um so no uh you know The long and short of the fundraising process is it will break your confidence if you let it (laughs) and
1: absolutely true
0: you have to you have to make yourself uncomfortable while going through it in order to learn and continue to develop and grow your business so starting off you know i think that there is an ideal way that fundraising happens and it's you you raise a family and friends rounds you essentially raise money from people who know Know you, who you've built like a level of credibility with for an extended period of time and have some level of high trust or belief in you. Then you start moving towards more professional angel investors um, and then eventually into venture capital funds or in family offices, family funds, things like that. So to date, we have raised about 750K. We've collected of that probably, I want to say about 400,000.
1: That
0: in one current round? Uh, So that's two different rounds. So our first round that we raised, family and friends round, a couple of smaller angels, uh, that round ended up being about 150, which again, like just the fact that I was able to raise that amount of money from people in my very close network just speaks to a piece of the privilege of what's almost required to really get into the startup space. The reality of building technology and building product is it's extremely expensive. It takes a lot of capital and it takes talent. The reality is like I wish I wish that I could say like we got that 150k in like some three to six month period, but the reality is like we raised 150k over two years and it was like coming in like 5k here, 5k there. It was never just all in your bank account at once. Like, Gives you ability to like really create a plan and go try to execute. So you're always kind of running on fumes as a business. Not sure if like you're going to have the capital to continue the next month and th- during that phase. And that in itself is stressful and crazy as you continue to have to go pitch people and try to give them an idea of what what you're doing and the value that it's creating. That money really just got us to a place where we were able to have a public beta up on the app store. That gave some level of an idea of the vision that I was communicating. And especially when you're going through fundraising, if you don't have a product, if you don't have anything but an idea, uh, it's really difficult to really get the value of what's in your head out in a way that is easily digestible by an individual who wants to write a check for you. So the further along your product uh, comes, uh, the more easy it is for you to tell a story around what you're building and how it's going to change the world.
1: Is there anything that's been super challenging or disappointing aside from the the fact that it does take a long time to raise money?
0: Yeah, so now we're, so essentially we came to Techstars, Techstars road check for 120K standard and, and introduced us to this major network of dope mentors and investors, you being one of them and through the through that mentorship and network we opened up another round at the end of the program and we have half a million committed collected on about 150 200 of that but like even in this now now that we're in this le- level of the process we have people who are committed to the round who are waiting for us to identify a lead investor and, and the reality is people write checks for people that they have things in common with People that they can pattern match with, uh, people that they can identify like personality traits uh, that they have in themselves that they now see in someone who they believe will be successful. Because that's what people have. People use their experiences in their own history to try to make the best decisions as possible. And as a black male founder working on a, a product and platform that's driving value for black communities, it's been a very difficult Process of fundraising because most of the people who I'm having conversations in these rooms with uh, don't look anything like me, um, and so the journey of trying to again like tell a story about your business and vision in a way that's digestible for the person writing a check is actually the one thing I did not I you know <laughs> certainly underestimated and never actually realized in when I was just you know ideating on tribal. I never really thought to myself in reality that in order to make Tribal successful, I'd have to go convince a bunch of rich white men. (laughs) But that's the reality of what we're building and early on, at least, of what we've kind of been required to do uh, to continue to push the business forward. If you are going to start a company, start a company that you know that you will love. Because if you don't love the store, the company, the business that you're building, then you're not going to be able to tell a story in a way that is going to make it clear to people that you also are super passionate and excited about what you're
1: doing. Absolutely true. A matter of perseverance, but the passion is what fuels that. And uh, you're right. It's, you have to tell it every day. And sometimes multiple times a day, uh, whether it's investors or friends or potential business partners...
0: Every dollar that you get in the bank is an indicator that you're moving closer and you're closer to your goals. The, one of the major highlights for us was getting into Techstars. We were really at a place where we had really been cranking out at this. And Techstars really just gave a boost of energy to our whole team. Um, and then, now, then coming into the actual Techstars program, kind of being incubated with all these people with the same level of hunger and focus as you have kind of just makes you a different animal. And that's been like exciting to go through that kind of transformation. Fundraising is basically my full-time job right now. And it's amazing for me, ultimately, because I get to tell a story about what we're building every single day.
1: We're talking with Akechi Wabusi from Tribal Network. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few moments. We are so excited to welcome our first support sponsor, Founders Live. This is a global program that gives voice to emerging founders and early startups all over the world. Here's Founders Live CEO Nick Hughes to tell us more about it.
2: Hi, this is Nick Hughes from Founders Live, a growing global community of entrepreneurial inspiration, education, and entertainment. The Founders Live movement includes unforgettable live-streamed happy hour pitch competitions held in over 50 cities worldwide, And the monthly events are coupled with a growing online platform where articles, videos, expert talks, technologies and tools together help create world class entrepreneurs. Our vision is to raise the tide for all startup regions, but specifically second and third tier markets around the world to ultimately power the pulse of early stage entrepreneurship and creativity. We'd love for you to be a part of the movement. Check it out and join for free at founderslive.com.
1: Nick is currently on a year-long tour, leading events and meeting founders around the globe. Check out FoundersLive.com to see if he might be coming to your city. And now we continue with our episode. We're back with Akechi from Tribal Network. So Akechi, tell us how the idea of Tribal came about. Where where did you get this idea and, and what's the origin story for this company?
0: You know, I think I really got inspired. I think it's really interesting But ultimately, I think I was inspired by the story of Black Wall Street. Sure. You know, it was like five, six years ago where that story really surfaced back to life. And a lot of people my age were discovering the information around Black Wall Street. And that was like a big eye opener for a lot of people in my generation, I feel like, who didn't understand that uh, Black wealth in America had been created so early on in some of these regions and some of the systemic issues and violence that happened to remove that
1: yeah there's a the, the uh, story of um is it Tulsa I think
0: yeah Tulsa Oklahoma uh during segregation the early 1920s black community was thriving uh neighboring community uh whites ended up calling in the KKK and government uh they bombed and they burned it down they bombed and burned it down it's the only time government ever bombed its own soil here in America. A really just crazy story that just like wiped out your history books, like you never learn about it, uh, and especially as in my parents being Nigerian. There's a big disconnect of what African immigrants understand about uh, Black communities and what they've been through here. And as I really consumed that story, I really started to think to myself, we're in this really unique time where Black people are growing up. Black Americans, I guess I should say, are growing up best friends and right next door to children of African immigrants. I thought we lived in this time where there's this huge, really unique opportunity to reconnect the diaspora on a, on a global level by and through these immigrants and first gen and second generation individuals who still have connection and, con- and contact with the African continent. Uh, but also have these deep relationships uh, that they've built outside of Africa with people with skill sets and its and, and, and skills that are super valuable to to emerging markets back home.
1: Whoa, that's a pretty big vision. That's pretty amazing that that was what was the result of your epiphany. Um, that's not the average. Uh, I was frustrated, so I made a dating app story.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, no, nah, no doubt we have had really laser focus on like what we were trying to create. And I think just more and more clarity has been brought to that vision through the time that just one through research through actually like going out and doing it and building products. Like, I think that's really important. Go do it. <laughs> Don't keep talking about it because you're only going to be able to move so far. You really got to just dive in the game. And thankfully I'm wired all sorts of crazy. So it wasn't hard for me to make the leap. <laughs>
1: Was there a particular um, event or realization or or use case that emerged for you that you said, this is where we need to start?
0: Well, I think initially, uh, the crazy thing is my my co-founder sent me the Black Wall Street article while I was in Nigeria. My co-founder is actually African-American. And that was really powerful in like kind of understanding the piece I divulged previously. But what ended up happening was he also convinced me uh, to get into the tech world. So I moved to Austin and went to business school at McCombs and our international trip actually took us to China uh, where I was exposed to a uh, social communications platform called WeChat. And for those who aren't super familiar with WeChat, essentially think about it as like Chinatown in your pocket.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Sure.
0: And I thought that that was really, really powerful in how they had essentially built this community marketplace for their people, that they were able to do all types of commerce uh, and transactions and exchange amongst one another within. And I wanted to build an ecosystem similar to that and thought that WeChat really gave us insight not only to the kind of desires that people from underserved emerging markets, unbanked communities would have from a technology perspective and how that could be serviced, but also how we can then leverage that and build it for a different community for ourselves.
1: Nice. So Now, when you were in Nigeria, were you visiting there? Or were you living there at the time?
0: No, my sister was actually getting married. So in our community, in our culture, uh, you typically have what's called a traditional wedding that usually ideally would happen back in Nigeria in your, in your home village. And then, you know, you eventually have a, you know, whether you call it an American wedding or another wedding uh, in the States. Um, So we were there for her Nigerian wedding. And again, just being there, going there often, experiencing what's in Nigeria, I oftentimes come back just so excited and sharing with my friends here about the opportunities that exist that just aren't being uh, utilized back home.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I can imagine going to an event like that. I've been to a, a Kenyan wedding and they go on forever Yep. and the whole town is involved. <laughs> yep. And, uh, and I can imagine being there thinking, I got to find a way to stay connected to this, to stay connected to these people, to this community, to this culture. And I don't really have a good way to do this. I'm not going to set up a Facebook group or something like that. So how do I stay connected to this? So tell us a little, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Did you always think you're going to be an entrepreneur? Did you think you were going to be a technical person? How, how did you, how did your thinking evolve as you grew up?
0: Well, I mean, I grew up in the house where the emphasis was around education.
1: Can identify with that.
0: Yeah, so you know, bring home a B minus, and like it's it's a it's an issue. <laughs> I don't know if we can cuss on your podcast, so I'll hold back here, but. Being that was the case, like, I ended up finding that, like, I had a deep love for, like, playing with numbers. I love math. I love numbers in general and was always pretty good in school naturally. So, and then while also doing that, like, our whole family happened to all be really into sports. So, my sister, always a crazy 3-4 sport athlete in high school, went on to UT to run track for a couple years. My brother was the same thing, 3-4 sport athlete. Played, played football at KU and then eventually for the Jets until he tore his ACL. Wow. Um, and so I actually went to the same high school as them and had like all the pressure in the world of, hey, your brother and sister were savages. Are you savage too? And actually, I am. And So I ended up going on uh, to play football myself at Northwestern. Had a short stint with the 49ers and Redskins.
1: Wow. In the NFL.
0: And so sports were a major part of my life until the age of 23, 24. And I finally hung up the cleats. And now, you know, I've, both my parents are entrepreneurs. So I think I always knew that I was going to be in some sort of finance building into entrepreneurial roles, which is kind of how I am. But how it came about, and the fact that it ended up landing me in tech, like I had
1: no idea. Do you see a connection with a sports background and coming an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, and to be clear, like I didn't see this when I first became an entrepreneur. I'm like six years into like really trying to do do entrepreneurial things. But I think one thing athletes do really well. I think one thing that's expressed whenever I communicate, hey, I played college football, I played in the league, um, is that. This person has a high level of dedication and can create really strong habits that lead to success. Um, And then, you know, as athletes, we just run through walls all the time, right? It's like, hey, there's a new challenge and you get yourself revved up and excited to tackle that challenge over and over again without really exhausting yourself as an athlete just because that's how you're wired. And so in that same way, in, in the entrepreneurial world, no decision that you make is actually driving value instantly for you you have to understand that the habits and the processes that you're going through on a day-to-day basis end up getting you to this long-term goal I think athletes align themselves well in that even though we do like that immediate satisfaction whenever we can get it and then also in working with team and building team when I was at Northwestern you know I was captain my senior year And I literally recruited all the most talented guys who were in the sophomore and freshman class. You know, (laughs) I was like the go to host uh, whenever we had like a really talented recruit that we were like fighting Ohio State or Stanford over 100% closing rate for myself. So I feel pretty good about that. And it was probably about two, three years into the journey. I really sat back and was like, these are the things that I was really good at as an athlete and i realized how important and valuable that was for me as an entrepreneur and then actually start shifting my focus as ceo to building team and building kind of like those those habits that are going to lead to a long-term practice
1: that is a great comparison you know cuz i i've used this term before a startup is a marathon at a sprint pace and so if you get too caught up in the short term and can't sort of get past, oh, I was a little slower or I didn't quite make it today, then you're gonna you're not gonna make it. I mean, it's very much a long game and athletes, particularly ones like you who reach the elite levels, my observation is that they are willing to get up at five in the morning and do something for twenty minutes knowing that they're not going to see the value of that for maybe days, weeks, months into when they're actually playing. I definitely see that as, an, as part of the entrepreneurial journey. And I think you're absolutely right also about teams, that uh, most of the most impressive entrepreneurial leaders that I've seen have a lot of team sports background, which I think creates this combination of Ability to lead, but also the ability to collaborate and understanding that there's a body um, that needs to work in unison, and it's only going to work as well as uh, the weakest part or, or the part that may be failing, and how can you reach back and help that particular part if they're overwhelmed, or how do you realign the team so that it can be successful?
0: The thing you brought up that's I probably left out that's really important to highlight is bringing a group of individuals together for one shared vision and one shared cause. That is definitely a major team sports thing that translates really
1: well in the startup world. Yeah, I think I think so. Let's shift gears a little bit. I mean, uh, you and I are similar in that we're both sort of first-generation African-Americans or American Africans. How do you see the dynamic as a Black founder do you view that there's a difference either within our community of Black entrepreneurs based upon where you come from or your heritage is?
0: Yeah, so, you know, to be honest, again, and I think this is another piece of privilege, right, that I'm happy to share that I have. There is a level of people, especially in the tech community, if they have worked in product or in engineering it wouldn't be shocking that they came across like a Nigerian, right? Or African of some sort. And so I think that there's a little bit of a bias of perception that Africans are smarter or more intelligent. And, you know, honestly, that has been helpful. I think, I think Africans are viewed slightly different than black Americans from like a work effort and hustle perspective, just, especially if they're an immigrant, right? They actually, Separate themselves from their entire country because of how hungry they are to reach uh, kind of a new economic level for not only themselves but their family and the, kind of like the mindset around that. But broadly speaking, I think African, Caribbean, Latin American, very similar culturally. Obviously, everyone has something unique, but from the foods that we eat, social lives, like the Different ways that we connect. I think the the fact of race has always been a connector. And when you find yourself in spaces where you are the minority, the way that you identify yourself or look at yourself can can change and evolve. So in some rooms I'm black, in some rooms I'm African, in some rooms I'm Nigerian. It just depends on like which identity creates the most community for me in that space. And due to that, I think that people have typically had life experiences across a diverse set of these black communities, if you are black. And if you're not black, then most of your exposure, I feel like to black people, especially if it's in tech, has been Africans and immigrants. And that that is a little bit different.
1: Yeah, I think think you're probably right. And to some degree, I think Culture can be confused with race um, when, in fact, those things can be very different. But I also see, and part of this speaks to your vision, is that there is a, a common strand that runs through all of us whose origins came from the continent, whether that was 200 years ago or 20 years ago or last week. It's an interesting, it's an interesting topic. And as I explore, I'm trying to get a lot of different voices. And, you know, for me, it's all about how do we, how do we create a rising tide where all boats are lifted?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I think the deeper that we get into these communities, the more we do figure out like how they can differ in some extreme ways and you know, they don't all get along. But, you know, what we've always typically found is like there are bridge builders amongst these communities that we're able to leverage to bring more people together than not.
1: How would uh, how would people get in touch with you?
0: You can follow us uh, when I say us. You can follow tribal at the tribal network, V-T-H-E-T-R-I-B-L network, all one word on both Twitter and Instagram. If you want to connect more deeply with me personally, you can find me on my personal Instagram or Twitter BUSI underscore X, B-U-I-S-I underscore um, X. Even if you're an investor, it's probably easiest to get in touch with me on Twitter and then we can get to email through that. And uh, also our website, if you want to go download the app, go to our website, www.thetribalnetwork.com.
1: Outstanding. Thank you so much. And uh, good luck with Tribal. I'm rooting for you and go get them.
0: I right, appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the show. We'd like to thank our guest, Akechi Wabusi, and our sponsor, Founders Live. As always, if you're excited about what we're doing, you can find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Founders or go to our website, foundersunfound.com, to see the latest. This podcast was produced by Dan Kihanya, me, and Deborah Drake. Our music was composed by Paul Mitchell Beebe, Sebastian Morowitz and Jason Donnelly. I am Dan Kihanya, and you've been listening to Founders Unfound.